close, but no cigar, was a phrase that has been told for the last few centuries. It has the idea that you can be very close to something without succeeding, or you can tiptoe on the edge without falling over, or you can be right on the edge without stumbling across. You see, close but no cigar is an idea and a mentality that Satan has for Christians today, and we're living in it in such a real way today. You see, in the book, Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices by Thomas Brooks, again, written in the mid-1600s. What Satan was doing in the 1600s is exactly the same thing that he is doing today, and he is using the phrase, close but no cigar, to allow Christians and to motivate Christians to go on an adventure with sin. Tonight, as we look at device number seven from the book, you need to realize that Satan wants to take you on an adventure, but that adventure is full of sin. You are listening to the Bearing Precious Seed podcast. For tonight's quote of the episode, it comes from A.W. Tozer who said this, Satan will not bother a man who has quit fighting. Satan will not bother a man who has quit fighting. And Christian Sometimes it's a good thing that Satan fights you and I because he knows that we are fighting against the wiles that he is using to trap us up. What an incredible quote from A.W. Tozer. you're thinking to yourself where you've heard that song before. If you recognize that song, you'll realize it's normally because you know it from National Lampoon's Vacation. 
you know, the movie we all grew up watching as a family or uh, it made us dream about vacations. It was humorous. It was a comedy movie. And we all watched it growing up. He had multiple movies, The Vacation, Christmas, all different things like that. And when it comes down to it, in the opening scene of National Lampoon's Vacation, the dad is driving down the road, and he has his whole family in the car. And as he's driving, this red convertible or Corvette or whatever kind of fancy car it is comes up upon the father. And inside the car is a beautiful blonde-haired woman who is seducing him or enticing him. And this married man, I might say, is flirting with her, winking at her, making faces, trying to improve his posture, maybe uh, smile, sit up straight to where he doesn't have a gut or things of that nature. And you see, that's exactly what Satan does to us, Christian. He wants to take you on an adventure. See, Satan offers this great idea. It's an all-expense-paid trip to hell is what Satan's ultimately trying to do. You see... Satan was trying to tempt that father in National Lampoon's Vacation. But what's humorous is we all love that movie, but when you think about it, the opening scene is quite sinful. This father, married man, is being enticed for four and a half minutes at the opening of this movie, and shame on him for being enticed to almost commit adultery with a woman, and if he didn't physically commit adultery with her, it was definitely in his heart, and Jesus Christ says that is the sin of adultery. And as we, we look at that, we think about it, it's, it's usually humorous or comical, but that should show you, Christian, that sin is very, very lighthearted in our culture today. And Christians are even feeling lighthearted as well. Well, some of you may say, that's not a big deal, or it's National Lampoon's vacation, how could that be wrong? Or, oh, it's not a big deal at all, he wasn't going to do anything, it was just fun and humor. Well, Christian, that is sin. And that is exactly what Satan does to you, is he'll make that look beautiful and okay, when actually God is against that wholeheartedly. And as we come to device number seven tonight in the book, I hope you've been enjoying this because I have. Device number seven, by making the soul bold to venture upon the occasions of sin. Satan says, you may walk by the harlot's door, though you won't go into the harlot's bed. You may sit and sup with the drunkard, though you won't be drunk with the drunkard. You may look upon Jezebel's beauty, and you may play and toy with Delilah, though you do not commit wickedness with the one or the other. You may with Achan handle the golden wedge, though you do not steal the golden wedge. See, Satan has the idea exactly of the father in National Lampoon's Vacation. That you can tiptoe on the edge of sin with actually, without actually doing it. it. It won't hurt you. It doesn't affect you. Well, I'm sure that if that was a real life situation, that man's heart is not attached with his wife. That man's heart is wandering and looking for something to fulfill his flesh. And we know it's a movie and it's fake, but if that is a real life scenario that many marriages are in, oh, how wicked that it truly is. And see, you may not go into the harlot and, and sleep with her, but you'll definitely walk by it or... Or you won't cheat on your wife. You'll just kind of look and talk to people on Facebook when no one's looking. See, we always like to tiptoe on the edge of sin. The first remedy against this is to dwell upon those scriptures which expressly command us to avoid the occasions of sin and the appearance of evil. The Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. Whatever is heterodox, unsound, and unsavory, shun it as you would do a serpent in your way or poison in your food. Whatever's evil in that situation and scenario, you need to avoid it. 
there's an individual who says that in the old law, when any dead body was carried by any house, they were enjoined to shut their doors and windows when the dead body went by. When God had commanded the Jews to abstain from swine's flesh, they would not so much as name it, but in their common talk would call a soul another thing. To abstain from all appearance of evil is to do nothing wherein sin appears or which has a shadow of sin. Bernard apparently abstained from whatever is of evil show or of ill report that he may neither wound conscience nor credit. We must shun and be shy of the very show and shadow of sin if either we have a regard to our credit abroad or our comfort at home. It was good counsel that Livia gave her husband Augustus. It behooves you not only not to do wrong, but not to seem to do so. Jude 23 says, And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. It is a phrase taken from legal uncleanness, which was contracted by touching the houses, the vessels, the garments of unclean people. Under the law, men might not touch a menstruous cloth, nor would God accept a blemished peace offering. So we must not only hate and avoid gross sins, but everything that may carry a savor or suspicion of sin, we must abhor that very thing and those signs and tokens of sin. To venture upon the occasion of sin and then to pray, lead us not into temptation, is all one as to thrust your finger into the fire and then pray that it might not be burnt. Christian, we do this all the time. We put our finger in the fire, we play and tickle with sin, and then we pray that we don't get burned. Proverbs 4, 14 and 15, you have another command here. Enter not into the path of the wicked, and go not in the way of evil men. Avoid it, pass not by it, turn from it, and pass away. This triple graduation of Solomon shows with a great emphasis how necessary it is for men to flee from all appearance of sin, as the seaman shuns rocks and shelves when he is driving his ship, and as a men shun those who have the plague sores running from them. And that's very similar with COVID-19. If someone had COVID, you're going to stay clear away from them, and that's exactly how we have to be with sin. Because though you may not catch it being so close, you're not willing to take the chance. That's why I don't know why Christians drink alcohol. People say all the time, oh, I drink alcohol and, and I'm in moderation, I'm not a drunkard. Well, fine. Let's say hypothetically the Bible is okay with you drinking in moderation. Why would you even tempt yourself to be given to alcohol if you knew there was a chance you could become a drunkard and ruin your life? If there's even an opportunity. Now, I believe the Bible is against alcohol. I believe that and I preach that. I hate alcohol. I'll just say that frankly with you. But see, Christian, Satan wants you to have this idea you can play with it and jump around with it and then all of a sudden, boom, one day you're ensnared and entrapped by alcohol and sin. As weeds endanger the corn, as an infection endangers the blood, or as an infected house endangers the neighborhood, so does the company of the wicked endanger the godly. Friendship with the wicked is one of the strongest chains of hell and binds us to, to a participation in both their sin and their punishment. The second remedy against this device of Satan is solemnly to consider that ordinarily there's no conquest over sin without your soul turning from the occasion of sin. 
It is impossible for you to get conquests of sin if you're going to play and sport with the occasions of sin. God will not remove the temptation to sin except you return from the occasion of sin. It is a just and righteous thing with God that he should fall into the pit who will even dare to dance upon the brink of the pit and that he should be a slave to sin that he will, who will not flee from the occasions of sin as long as there is fuel in our hearts for temptation we will never be secure he who has gunpowder with him better keep far away from the sparks to rush upon the occasions of sin is to both tempt ourselves and to tempt Satan to tempt us. It is very rare that any soul that plays with the occasions of sin will soon be ensnared by it. It's very rare that if you're going to play with sin that you won't get caught in it. It's most common that you will be taken and ensnared by sin. There's a fable that says that the butterfly asked the owl how she could deal with the fire which had singed her wings who counseled her not to behold so much as its smoke. It is seldom that God keeps that soul from the acts of sin, who will not keep off the occasions of sin. He who adventures upon the occasions of sin is as he who would quench the fire with gasoline. You can't quench a fire with gasoline, by the way. Often remember, Christian, how frequently you have been overcome by sin when you have boldly gone upon the occasions of sin. Look back, Christian, to the days of your emptiness, where you were so easily conquered as tempted, as you were so easily vanquished as assaulted, when you played with the occasions of sin, as you would in the future be kept from the acting of sin and be made victorious over sin, flee from the occasions of sin. The third remedy against this device of Satan is to seriously consider that other precious saints who were once glorious on earth and are now triumphing in heaven have turned from the occasion of sin as hell itself. We see this very commonly in Joseph in Genesis chapter 39. And it came to pass as she spoke to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. Joseph was famous for all four cardinal virtues if there ever were any Here's what they are. Fortitude, justice, temperance, and prudence. In that he shuns the occasion, for he would not so much as be with her. He's not going to play no games with that woman. And what a man he is indeed, that when a man is in temptation, he will not even vent to corruption. He won't even go near it. The Nazarite may not drink wine, but get this, he can't even taste a grape or the husk of a grape. The leper was to shave his hair and pare his nails. You have to do all of these things. Stay far away, as far away as you can from sin. The devil knows that corrupt nature, which we all have, has a seed plot for sin, which, being drawn forth and watered by a sinful occasion, is soon set by producing death and destruction See, when Satan plants those seeds in your heart because you have been walking in sinful occasions, death and destruction will come. God will not remove the temptation until we remove the occasion to temptation. I love what Job said. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust upon a young woman in Job 31.1. 1. 
I set a watch. Here's what you need to do, Christian. Set a watch at the entrance of your senses that your soul may not by them be infected or endangered. What are those five senses? We got sight, hearing, touch, taste, and smell. We're not going to be tempted by any of those. Stories speak of some who could not sleep when they thought of the trophies of other worthies that went before them. The highest and choicest examples are to some and should be to all very quickening and provoking. We need to think about David, Joseph, Job, that we should prevail with all of us, all of our being, to shun and avoid the occasions of sin. All of us should strive to be like them in grace, that we should desire to be equal with them in glory. He who shoots at the sun, though he be far short, will shoot higher than he who aims at a shrub. It is best, and it speaks out so much of Christ within, to eye the highest and worthiest examples. Remedy number four against this device of Satan is to consider that the avoiding of the occasions of sin is an evidence of grace and that which lifts up a man above most other men in the world. That a man is indeed, which he is in in temptation, and when sinful occasions present themselves before the soul, this speaks out both to the truth and the strength of grace. When with Lot, a man who was chased in Sodom, and with Timothy, who can live temperate in Asia, among the luxurious Ephesians, and with Job, who can walk uprightly in the land of Uz, where the people were profane in their lives and superstitious in their worship, and Daniel, who can be holy in Babylon, and Abraham, righteous in Chaldea, and Nehemiah, zealous in Damascus, and so many examples that we can avoid the occasions of sin because God gives grace that we can lift up above others in this world. Many a wicked man is full of corruption, but shows it not because there's no occasion. See, Christian, there's a lot of people in your life who are wicked and full of corruption and vile, but they don't show it because they haven't don't have an occasion. See, a lot of your co-workers and friends love to party and drink it up, but at work you wouldn't know it. But when they leave and have the occasion to sin, then the real them comes out. But a man is surely godly, who in his course will not be bad, though tempted by occasions to sin. You're truly godly when you're tempted and you don't give in. That is when you're truly godly. A Christless soul is so far from refusing occasions to sin when they come in his way that he looks and longs after them. He wants a, Listen, Christian, unsaved people want an occasion to sin. They want it to show up. And rather... That he will go out, listen, this Christian will, uh, I'm sorry, excuse me. This unsaved man will go and find and buy occasions of sin. But what he'll buy is loss of his soul. Nothing, Christian, but grace can fence a man against the occasions of sin when he is strongly tempted thereunto. Therefore, as you would cherish the precious evidence in your own bosoms of the truth and strength of all your graces, shun all sinful occasions. Christian, if I could challenge you from my heart, there's many a times, I'll be honest with you, I have fallen and I'm not a perfect individual and I hope I never claim to be. I do want to tell you 
that there's been many times where temptation has arose, and I knew it, and I did not flee the occasion to sin, but I took it up. I purchased it, if you want to put it into words. You see, the number one time where we can have the occasion to sin, I've found, is when you're alone. My question to you is, Christian, what do you do when no one is around? Because that will show you where you are spiritually. And I hope this has been a great challenge to you. Don't even play with sin. Don't even look at it. Stay so far away. I know that to the liberal Christians, this is going to blow your head off, that, that you can't live in liberty and you can't live in freedom. But Christian, when you saw and you've seen what sin's done to people, how could you even flirt with her? You're listening to the BPS Podcast. All right, everyone's favorite segment of the episodes. I got a little bit of a different joke tonight. It's a bit of a story instead of just a one-liner. There's an old country church in a little village. The pastor of the church noticed the outside of the building was starting to look a little shabby and in bad need of a fresh coat of paint. He went and bought three gallons of paint and started to paint the church. The front looked great, but he still had three sides to go and had already used up one gallon of paint. You know, as pastors normally are, being a thrifty person, he decided to thin down the other two gallons. When he finished and walked around to admire the church, it looked great. That night, it rained very, very hard. In the morning, he went out to see how the church looked. The front of the building still looked great, but the other three sides had washed off almost completely. The pastor looked up to the sky in frustration and cried out, Now what? From heaven came a voice, Repaint and thin no more. <laughs> There's your dad joke slash story of the episode. I would like to introduce you to a new segment we're going to do on the episode titled Food for Thought, where I'm going to give maybe a subject or an idea or a thought that maybe is a gray area. Maybe we have Christians on both sides, and I'm not even going to necessarily open or argue the questions. I'm just going to give them to you to think about and maybe something that you can ponder on to whether you should be doing it or not. And now Christmas is coming up, and I was discussing this with other believers on Sunday, is this idea of Santa Claus. And your food for thought topic of tonight, or the question, should a Christian practice or participate or believe, quote-unquote, 
in Santa Claus. My first thought is that I grew up believing in Santa Claus and I found out that he wasn't real in elementary school and my parents told me throughout my young life that Santa Claus was in fact real. I went to public school. That's how almost every public school kid is raised, believing that Santa Claus is real. But ultimately, I hope to be a father one day and I'm not yet, but I've been questioning this food for thought topic, should a Christian believe, practice, or endorse Santa Claus? And I'm coming to my own conclusions, but I wanted to ask you that question. Should we believe in Santa Claus and promote it? I do want to state a few things that believing in Santa Claus is not a necessarily a cardinal sin that some people would preach in the pulpit, but believing in Santa or promoting it is, in fact, promoting a lie. I'm not telling you which side to stand upon, and I'm not endorsing a certain side. And if you want to know where I believe personally, I'll tell you that I personally will not endorse Santa Claus or tell my kids that he is real. Because in all honesty, though it may be quote-unquote a white lie, it is nonetheless a lie. And so I could not promote it. See, I run into this issue all the time that when I teach children or I deal with younger individuals, as they grow up, they tend to treat Santa Claus the same as Jesus Christ. They're always watching when you're sleeping. They know when you're awake. They both know when you've been bad or good, so be good for goodness sake. Well, with Christ, that's true. With Santa, it's not. And they tend to equate the two. They make them equal. They think of Christ the same way they think of Santa, just made up. Uh, you sing a little songs. You make a little jingle. And all of a sudden, here it is. And that's one of the dangers that we have. Now, if you're a Christian who, who promotes Santa Claus with your children or you think it's all right... There's no harm, no foul. I'm not going to break fellowship with you and not necessarily wanting to argue this with you. I did want to give you food for thought, though, because our culture has taught us what is okay and acceptable. And I just wanted to give you something that you can feed upon your mind, that you can think upon, and that can be food for your thoughts. And just a question you may want to ask yourself. Let the Holy Ghost move and inspire and encourage you on the decisions you make. We appreciate you giving us your heart and time on this episode this evening. I do want to challenge you. Continue to work for the night is coming.